0: turn turn to Micah chapter 6. The book of Micah is about God's anger over and his response to his people mistreating each other. You see, God's people are supposed to display to the world the beauty of a community that is governed and led by God, but instead they have served false gods, and that is showing, showing itself in the ways that they are hurting each other. Hopefully the way that I framed that up helps us see how it can be relevant to us. The, the book of Micah is about God's people hurting each other, and that has not stopped today. So we're going to learn some things in this passage, which is a, it's kind of a bleak passage. It's about destruction. It's about judgment. But there is so much to learn here, and there is also grace in this passage, and uh, we're going we're to take a look at, in this passage, what we can learn about who God is, why we sin, how God responds, and then I'm going to try to leave you with a practice that might be a practical help in avoiding sin. So I'm going to read through the the passage first, and then we're going to pray. So if you just follow along with me, starting in verse verse 9 of chapter 6. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear the rod of him who appointed it, Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins." You shall eat, but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I'll give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and the works of the house of Ahab. You have walked in their councils. And I will make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you grant us the grace to understand what your word has said, to see how it applies to our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you apply it. Show us what we need to do. Show us how this impacts us. We believe, Father, that your word is useful. We believe that your word is breathed out by you. And that it is, it is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every single good work. We believe that about your word. So we ask, Father, that you make our time beneficial together as we spend, spend it here together. Trying to seek you. Now, if you're willing, I would like to ask you to, to pray that the Lord teach you And then if you would, ask that he would use me, that I would be useful to you. Father, we love you. We are grateful for your presence here with us. And we ask all these things in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Alright, so the first thing that we we see in this passage I want us to look at is who God is. And the reason I want us to start there is because I think the passage starts with that, but also because it is so important for us to know what we think about the Lord. Write this down. Our thoughts about God impact every area of our life. Our thoughts about God impact every area of our life. Just the same way that your thoughts about gravity impact how you deal with your roof. (laughs) Or how I deal with this ledge right here. Like I'm not going to walk. So, I mean, I might. You know, sometimes I don't live in accordance with my beliefs, and I might fall off. I don't know. But you, you see what I'm saying? You have beliefs about things that impact what you do around things. Now, your belief about God impacts everything, everything you do. And it's important that we look at what the Bible says about God, who God is. A. W. Tozer he has a famous quote. It's a kind of a long one. I'm going to read it for you, though. So sit tight. He says that our idea of God corresponds as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Compared with our actual thoughts about him, our creedal statements are of little consequence. Our real idea of God may actually lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intelligent and vigorous search before it's finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. And only after an ordeal of painful self-probing are we likely to discover what we actually believe about God. And a right conception about God is, not, is basic to not only systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. And where it's inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. I believe, he says, that there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally Back to an imperfect or a dishonorable thought about God. Do you hear what he's saying? We don't do what we ought to do because we have wrong thoughts about who God is. So let's listen. The first thing I want us to notice that we can I think we can see from this passage in Micah that who God is is He is patient. Where do I get that? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is where we're gonna start, and it says: The voice of the Lord cries out to the city. The voice of the Lord cries out. Pause. This is happening 500 years into Israel's history. There's been 500 years of God sending prophets, giving them clear expectations of what he wants, yet he still is crying out. He's crying out for 500 years because he's patient. You know, I think, unfortunately, the, the picture that a lot of people get when they read through the Old Testament is, as I hear, that they say, you know, God's awfully harsh in the Old Testament. No, 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 he's awfully patient. Because we, don't, we, we oftentimes, we don't realize how much time has passed. And I understand it's not always easy to, to track those things. There's actually a place in, in the story of Abraham where you finish reading one chapter and it says, and Abraham was this many years old. And the next chapter says, and now Abraham was this many years old. And 20 years just passed, like that. And you don't even realize it. But a lot of time passes in the Old Testament where God says, hey guys, this is what I want you to do. And he doesn't deal out severe consequences. And he also gives extremely explicit, very vivid displays that he's really serious about what he means. He shows up in really big ways, in interesting ways. He's very patient. So the fact that 500 years in, to Israel's disobedience, God is still crying out to them. We can we can learn and we can see and be we were reminded that the Lord is patient. You know, one of his one of his ways that he likes to describe himself when Moses asked him, Who are you? Let me see what you're like, he said, I am slow to anger. I'm slow to anger. Now, do you think of God as slow to anger? Or do you think of him as quick-tempered? Do you think of God as someone who is easily offended? ready to just blow? Is he just a hot hot pot of water that you turn up the dial just a little bit and he's going to boil over all over you? Is that how you think of him? Now, I'm not not asking do you affirm whether or not the Bible says he's patient. Do you think he's patient? Because he is. He says he is. He truly is. And he's been patient with you, my friends. He has been. You know, Second Peter says, it says the Lord's not slow in fulfilling his promises as some of us think about slowness. Rather, he's, he's patient. He's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should have reached repentance. He's patient with you. He is, right now. Right now he's patient with you. And, and maybe remembering that he's patient with you and believing it more can help you be more patient with other people. I think if we realize God is patient with us, then it can help us be more patient with other people. The next thing that we that we see in this passage, I think, is that God is caring. He cares. He's patient, but he's also caring. And where do I get that same verse? The Lord cries out to the city. Now, why does he cry out? God doesn't have to do that, you know. He told you what he, he told them what he wants them to do. He could just say, All right, you didn't do it. I'm, I'm gonna get you. You know, it, in, the, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, you've got this situation where God says, he's setting up his relationship with Israel and him, and he says, Israel's like my firstborn son. You, when, when, when God cries out to Israel, you, sh- you should have in your mind this, this picture of a, of a parent crying out to his child. That's, that's the picture God wants us to set up, right? And now we as parents sometimes cry out and warn our kids too, like, hey, you better cut that out or else. But sometimes, let's just be honest, we do it because I'm like, I don't want the hassle of having to figure out why you and your brother are fighting. So <laughs> I'm watching the game or whatever I'm doing. God's not in that situation. God is not troubled by the hassle of disciplining. He, he's not bound in the circumstances that we are. So he doesn't warn because he doesn't want the hassle of dealing with us. He warns because He cares. When he warns, it's not because he's mean, it's because he cares. Actually, actually in Ezekiel 18, verse 23, it says that he, he would much rather that the wicked turn, not that he just enjoys the destruction of the wicked. He does not enjoy the destruction of the wicked, he says. And would I not rather that they turn and live? But not only does he care about those he warns, he cares about the ones that he warns for. So he's, he's warning some people, hey, stop treat, mistreating these other people. But he doesn't just say these other people, he says my people. So he, he cares about the ones that he's warning and he cares about the ones he's warning for. Look at, look at verse 16 in this passage. He says, at the very end, he says, he's speaking to some unjust leaders that are mistreating his people. And he says, you shall bear the scorn of my people. <laughs> he tells his people, that they are mistreating his people. You know, my dad actually used to do this. He used to do this with me, and I've I've brought it into my parenting. When I would disrespect my mom, he would say to me, you don't disrespect my wife like that. Now, he wasn't trying to distance my relationship with him. What he was trying to do was, he was trying to remind me of his relationship with her. He was trying to remind me that I just disrespected this woman in front of her husband. Right? And God will look at his people and he says, Hey, those are my people. Remember who you are treating that way. Those are my people. You don't treat my people that way. And he's not saying you're not his people, but what he is saying is, They are my people. And we do good to remember that. Right? So he's patient caring he cares for those he warns and he also cares for those he's warning for but he's also very very clear he's very clear look at verse 13 in verse 13 he says therefore i will strike you with a grievous blow making you a desolation why somebody say it because of your sins not because I'm mean, not because I like dealing out consequences or discipline, because of your sins. Now in verse 8, Chan, Chan showed us last week how in verse 8 there's this pivotal moment in the book of Micah where God says, here's what I want you to do, here's what I require of you, that you do justice, that you love kindness, love, or love mercy, depending on your translation, and walk humbly with God. That's what I want you to do. And this is not the first time he's told them what his expectations are. He's been saying it for a long time, prophets after prophet, prophet after prophet. But now he says, you haven't done that. So here's why you're going to get consequences. He tells them what their sins is or what their sins are, and he says, I'm giving you consequences. I'm going to discipline you now because of your sins. God is clear. God is patient. He is caring. And he's clear. Now, I think it's really important for us to, uh, to remember that he's clear because some of us have been walking through our life thinking that God is unclear about what he expects of us and we think maybe I've gotten myself into a situation and I blew it. I'm like off the path of God's will and now I'm over here somewhere out in no man's land and I think God, this wasn't what God wanted for me. No, 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 no. He's clear. He's clear what he wants. He wants you to in all your ways acknowledge him and guess what? He'll direct the path. He'll make sure the path you picked is the right one. I had a Bible teacher that used to say to me, if, if, I, if I said, well, what, what should I, how do I know God's will in this, this situation or that one? Ask God to make the one you picked the right one. <laughs> and along the way, acknowledge him. Yeah. Are you afraid that you married the wrong person? Are you afraid that you picked the wrong job? Are you afraid that you moved to the wrong place? You're exactly where you need to be. You're okay. God can work with what you've done. Because his plan for you is, he wants you to become a wise person. Who can make good decisions. He wants you to be wise. And so he will give you situations where you can exercise your ability to make a choice and learn. When you're teaching your kid to drive, if you grab on the wheel the whole time for them, then they don't learn how to steer. The, The book of Revelation says that where we're going in this life, at the end of everything, God wants us to rule and reign with him. My friends, you're in training. We're in training. He wants you to make a choice, and he's clear about what he expects, and he says, I can work with the choices that you make, if they're not right or wrong. If, the, if left is, if that's a sin, and this is not, then go this way that's not a sin. But if neither of them are, then pray about it and make a choice. Or maybe if you don't have to make a choice, you can just wait. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. He's clear. All right, we're going to move on. The next thing that we learn is why we sin. Not only is God patient, caring, and clear, and we have to know those things about who He is, but we learn something in this passage about why we sin, and we sin for treasure. This passage says we learn for treasure, we sin for treasure. And let, before we, we dive into where that says that here, where it says it here in this passage, I want I want to I want to set up why this is so important. If you have a problem and you don't know what's causing the problem, then you're gonna have a really hard time identifying solutions that work. You might pick solutions that don't actually work or solve the problem. For for instance, if your car doesn't start, do not ask me to help you. Well, if you ask me to help you, the only thing I can think of is, someone told me there's this little thing called the starter, it's silver, and it's somewhere under your hood, and if you knock it with a hammer, that'll get you going. And when, you know, one time I did that. My car wouldn't start, and I knocked with a hammer, and I was like, look at that. <laughs> I can open up a mechanic shop now. People start paying me. But here's the problem. It didn't work forever. <laughs> but you know why? You know why that solution was the one I went for, and why I, I ended up in a situation where I didn't know how to fix the problem long term, because I don't know what starters do. <laughs> I don't know why a starter does what it does, or why it works with anything else under the hood. Do you know who does? Chad Ray. <laughs> that's why people pay him to fix their starters <laughs> but listen chad Way, chad ray understands why the starter goes bad what it's supposed to do how it works he understands those things he understands what causes the problem and so he knows how to fix it so he doesn't waste his time just banging on them. <laughs> if we don't understand why we sin if we don't understand what's causing the sin what's motivating the sin then we are going to seek solutions Don't help. If we get confused about what's actually down there driving us into sin, then we're going to try to stop sinning in ways that don't actually help. Here, the the big idea that that I'm I'm about to try to to show you this—I think this passage reveals to us—is that we sin to get things we want, and some of the things we want are good, and some of the things that we want are bad, and it makes understanding our motivations complicated. However, that complication can oftentimes leave us seeking solutions that don't help us stop sinning. We actually, a lot of times we try to just not want things anymore, and instead of it being successful, we end up just hiding from God. We end up hiding from God because we don't know how to stop sinning, because we get confused about what motivates us. And this passage helps us get clarity. It brings it into the light. There's a, there's a passage in Proverbs. Um, I don't know if I gave it to you guys or not. There's a passage in Proverbs that says, when you walk in the way of the wicked, you stumble and you don't know why. You know, the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, God tells Cain, sin's trying to get you, but you need to master it. You need to master it because it wants to master you write this down. We sin when we try to get good things in wicked ways. We, we sin when we try to get good things in wicked ways. Where do I get that? Verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. God tells them very clearly what their sins are. He tells them very clearly what their sins are, but he also tells them what they get out of it tells them what's been what's motivating them what what they got out of that sin and what they got out of it was treasure verse 10 says can i forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked in the scant measure that is accursed?" all right scant measure that's a curse that's just they were they were they were cheating each other it's a confusing way to say it but that's basically what was going on they were cheating each other but look they got treasure out of it and this is so helpful for our purposes because no one actually seeks wealth or treasure because they like green paper or shiny coins. I mean, some people are collectors, but you know what I mean. Most of us are not coin collectors <laughs> or, you know, paper collectors. Most of us seek wealth because it's access to something that we think is valuable. It provides us access to something that we think is valuable. Here's, here's what I mean. For, for you, maybe... Maybe wealth means access to safety and security. Like if I got enough money, then that means that when a problem comes up, we can fix it. If our car breaks down, we can pay Chad, or we can buy a new car or whatever. Safety, security. It's not about the money, it's about safety. But maybe for somebody else, it's about fun. It's about pleasure. You ever heard this one? I know they say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a jet ski, and that looks like happiness to me. (laughs) Right? So then money is a means to get happiness or, or fun, right? It's a, it's a mean to get pleasure, means to get pleasure. All kinds of ways. And mo- now listen, and money's not bad. Treasure's not bad. You can use it bad. You can do bad things to get it. Valuable things are not bad. And, and, and it's important that we understand. Let me... What we're trying to do is: Have you ever looked behind your TV and you've seen that like bundle of wires all all wound together? And you're like, I have. If if someone were to ask me to unplug my kid's Xbox, I'd have no idea which wire to pick because it's like a million wires. <laughs> we're, that's what it's like inside of us. It's like a million wires bound together, and we need to untangle it and see what's really going on. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to untangle what's going on, what's driving us into sin, so we can stop it. See, see, it's important for us to know what we're seeking when we sin because, it's like Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. You spend your treasure on the things that you think will give you a valuable life. The things that you think can give you a life that you will like, that you will enjoy. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. You you know, one of the first things, actually the first thing in the book of John that that Jesus has recorded us uh, saying, He sees some guys following him. The first thing he, the first words out of Jesus's mouth in the book of John are, what are you seeking? What are you after? Jesus is asking his followers, what are you seeking? Because the things that you seek are the things that you'll go after. What does your treasure give you? What do you think that treasure gives you? I just said treasure's not bad, and it's not. Look at verse 10. Let's go back there. God says, can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness? You see that? He didn't say the wicked treasures. He said that it's treasures of wickedness. They came out of wickedness. They came through wickedness. You got these treasures through doing wicked things. Treasure's not wicked, but when you seek it in wicked ways... It is. Write this down. Things aren't wicked. Things aren't wicked, but ways can be. Things are not wicked, but ways can be. Look look what Paul says to to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, everything created by God is what? Say it. Somebody say it. Everything. Is there anything that God didn't make? Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if you accept it the right way. If you receive it with thanksgiving, recognizing where good things come from, thanking God for it, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. When we live a life governed by the word of God in prayer, seeking him in prayer, a relationship with him, everything does that feel like a new idea, maybe? Here, here's why this is so important, because I think, that, I think that we all understand that if I'm doing something, if I'm doing something I shouldn't do, yeah, there's something motivating me. Of course there is. There's something I want out of it. But, but we, get, we, get, we get lost in our heads because we think, well, maybe, I just, maybe I'm just not supposed to want things. And then we try to just not want things, and it doesn't work. It's not going to work to not want things. Actually, God made a world where wanting things is how you stay alive. If you lose your desire, some people do, if, if you lose your desire to eat, it'll kill you. Eating keeps you alive, and if you lose your desire to do it, desire, your desire for, for, for things in this creation are not, they're not bad. But you, you may be, if you, if, if you read your Bible, you might be thinking, well, hold on, what about evil desires? Because Mark, you just said that like the things that we want are not bad things, but doesn't the Bible say we have evil desires? It does. It does. And this is, this, this is where clarity get, does so much for us. It does so much for us because there are good things. And when we seek sinful ways to get them, we get addicted to sinful ways. Yeah. And we get a desire to, for a sinful way on the way to something that God would have been fine with us having if we went about it the right way. Maybe it takes a little longer than we want it to do. But I think more likely we believe the lie of our mother. We believe the lie that Eve Eve believed and that she was told. Because she had a whole lot of good things and there was something that God said, hey, this this is how I want you to enjoy it. I want you to stay away from that one. And the serpent said, hey, God's holding out on you, actually. Actually, if you did it the other way, it would be better. And we believe that. Maybe we don't say we believe it, but in our, we functionally believe it. What you actually believe is what you do. Your, your actual beliefs are driving your life. What you profess to believe is of little consequence, right? Remember what Tozer said? What we actually believe is what's driving our life. Let me try to to make this example clear. For instance, I started smoking when I was like in my mid-twenties. I I was not born with a desire to start smoking. I developed one, (laughs) I developed one. You know what my desire was? I I didn't know it at first, I wasn't sure. But after some reflection, I realized I didn't want people telling me what I couldn't do. I wanted self-control. I didn't want other control. I don't want other people to control me. You know, did you know that self-control is a fruit of the spirit? Did you know that? You know that God, when, when the spirit is, is active in your life, one of the things that will become evident is that you have self-control. You don't try to control the people and you're not controlled by them. Self-control is good. But I tried to exercise it in a way that enslaved me and destroyed my self-control because at a certain point i am not now listen i'm not saying that, that smoking is sinful if you guys smoke whatever when i when I, I didn't like the way my fingers smelled or my breath so i wanted to stop at a certain point because i didn't like it i just didn't like it but i couldn't cuz i needed that cigarette i found myself saying gosh i just need a cigarette man i was trapped i wanted to exercise my self control and i found a path i found a way to do it that led to slavery And then I I became addicted to that way and I forgot what I was even after in the first place. I developed a new desire. We have designed desires that accord with what God wants for us. And then we have developed desires. You can develop desires for good things too. But you can also develop desires for bad. It's about what you practice with your body. It's about what you do with your body. The Bible calls it the desires of the flesh. Flesh. Sin gets in your body, and it's what you automatically do. Sin gets in you. Sin is not just dishonoring to God; it gets in you. Look, look. It says it right here. It says it right here. Look at, look back at. Uh, at uh, it's not verse ten. Hold on. Where's the one? Verse twelve. Is that what they got on the screen? Sorry. <laughs> My words are too small. I need a bigger print Bible. I have one. It's just this one's so much tinier and it's like cute to hold around. Anyway. (laughs) I can read it over here and I don't feel like it's falling off my hands. (laughs) Verse 12. Oh, it's a ribbon too. Verse 12. Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Your tongue will become deceitful. If you lie enough, then lying becomes your automatic response. If you lie enough you become a habitual liar. Your tongue will become deceitful. Do you, see, do you see this? If you seek treasure through lying, then what happens instead is you become a liar. It also says in that passage, violence, they're using violence to get treasure. You know, if you seek, if you seek respect through violence, you'll become addicted to violence. It's not bad to want respect. Actually, the Bible tells us in multiple places to respect one another. If you have an anger problem and you have violent expressions, you yell at people, you call them names, and you fly off the handle all the time, and you sin in that way, maybe it's because you feel like people don't respect you. They don't listen to me. It's not bad to want to be listened to, but if you seek it in that way, You become someone who just flies off the handle. It gets in your body. Sin gets in you. Your tongue becomes deceitful. Does this make sense? You guys get what I'm saying? You weren't after something bad in the first place. God made us to have desires. But then you start wanting something bad. And then you got a war. And Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? You know? It gets in you. So what do we do? <laughs> what we do is we need, to, very first thing we need to do is go to the Lord in prayer. God, help me understand what, what, what was I after in the first place in this sin, whether it's, it's lust or lying. I mean, that's, that's a lot of times people go to pornography and they develop a porn addiction because they were after something that wouldn't have been bad for them to have. And that's just the quicker way. Sin always says, hey, you know what? You can get it quicker than God says you can get it. But it pays everything up front and then it leaves you with guilt and shame in your hands. And you develop a new desire and you're locked in it. We need to go to the Lord and we need to ask him because desire is not going to be stopped. Look look what Paul says to the Colossians. Look what Paul says to the Colossians. He says, he says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion or pious self-denial and severe body discipline. but, But guess what? They actually provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. If, if you think this is listen we need to understand this if you think that God just doesn't want you to have good things I'm sorry that ain't gonna help you stop sinning if you think God's just up there saying well if you could stop wanting that stuff it's not gonna help it provides no help your flesh is gonna take over desire you need to fix desire with desire You need to go to the Lord and you need to say, help me find what was I after in the first place? And what would you be fine with me having if I did it your way? Do you remember what James said? He said in chapter four, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it your desires and your passions that war within you? But guess what? You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. We need to ask ourselves what is the sin I'm regularly drawn to? And what is the valuable thing I was seeking when I started? And why? And are there ways that I could have this right now? Maybe you could have it right now if you just did it God's way. Maybe it's right here with you and He wants to give it to you. And if it's not here, then ask God, you satisfy me. And then finally, we're going to close here. How God responds. Listen, he warns. So we need to listen because he will warn. He will bring conviction. He will bring someone into your life to warn you. He will bring something, something in the scripture will prick you before he offers discipline, which is the next thing he does. He, he warns and he disciplines. So listen, you hear the rod it says of him who appointed it. Listen, there will be warning, but then there's discipline and look how he does discipline. Micah chapter 6, verse 13. I'm going to strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins, and you shall eat but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you, but, and you, you won't be able to put away and preserve. You'll sow, but you won't reap. You'll tread olives, but you won't anoint yourselves with oil. You'll tread grapes, but you won't drink wine. You're going to try to get what you want, and I'm going to show you you can't. Romans 1 says that God will give them over. God's judgment is, I give you over. I let you have what you want. And I'm going to let you see you don't get what you want. I'm going to let you see that God warns before he judges, but his judgment is, I'll let you see that it doesn't actually get you what you want. Gossip does this. This is what gossip does, because a lot of times people will gossip about somebody because they want relationship. I want to be a part of that group. I feel lonely, and so I feel like the way I get in is I I, I got this tasty morsel about somebody I know that maybe you're not really on good terms with, and I'll come in, and I'll share it, and we'll laugh, and we'll have entertainment, and you let me in, but guess what? It creates a fragile community. Gossip. If gossip is the basis of your community, it creates a fragile community because then you start gossiping about each other. And then sometimes she's mad at him and then he's mad at her. And so then the, the friend group is always shifting all around and there's turmoil and people are angry at each other because they are seeking relationship in ways that actually don't work. Listen, you can't control whether or not anybody else gossips. You don't gossip. You can leave. You can walk away. Same thing with sarcasm, actually. I know, it's a fun, I know sometimes sarcastic jokes are really funny, but it's actually practicing lying for fun. Sarcasm is just a way to practice lying for fun. Sorry, I don't mean to be a, a killjoy, but... <laughs> you guys like, can I do anything fun? Listen, God, God doesn't want us to not have a good life. He doesn't want, to play, he doesn't want us to play around in ways that are dangerous. It may be fun to play with a gun at the fire range, but if your nine-year-old says, dad, can I play with your gun? you say, that's a dangerous way to play. It's a dangerous way to play when you play around by lying. Sarcasm, that's what that is. He disciplines, he let us ha- lets us have what, he wants, what we want, but finally, the last thing, he saves. Not only does he warn, and not only does he discipline, but he saves. Over and over again, he's been reminding the people, I saved you from Egypt, but look here at the end. He says, for you have kept the statutes of Omri and the works of a- the house of Ahab and you've walked in their councils that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing so you shall bear the scorn of my people. He's, he's, he's essentially just restating what he said this whole, the, whole, the whole time. You've been following wicked kings doing wicked things. And so consequences are coming. I'm the God who's been keeping you safe all along, but you know what, I'm gonna let you have what you want. You don't wanna, you don't wanna walk in my ways and I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let Assyria and Babylon come and overthrow you. And he's talking specifically to, to Jewish leaders who are doing this. And he's saying, all the people you've trampled and you've mistreated, you're, you're gonna be like them. You're gonna be the laughing stock now. I'm gonna, let, I'm, gonna just, I'm gonna let it happen. But you see, that, you see where it says, you'll bear the scorn of my people? God is, God is forcing the bad leaders to bear the scorn of someone else. Does that remind you of anything? You know, Isaiah. Isaiah was preaching the same time Michael was to the same people about the same stuff. And Isaiah, in Isaiah Isaiah 53, He says something really interesting about what he's going to do, about what God's going to do. He says, out of the anguish of this one who's going to come, out of anguish of his soul, he'll he'll see and he'll be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. When God kept telling the people in the Old Testament, don't forget how I saved you, you know what's different? about the salvation we know about, it never cost God anything to save the people from Egypt. Not the way it cost Him on the cross. And though we don't have a direct pointer in this passage today of the cross, we have a hint. Because Jesus is the leader who comes, he's not a bad leader who mistreats people and is forced to bear their scorn and shame. He is the good leader who is mistreated by other people and then decides to bear their scorn for them. And you know why? Look what Romans chapter eight, verse 32 says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God's willing to do that, if he's willing to bleed for you, then why don't you trust him? Why do you keep, why do you keep seeing his ways as mean and restrictive? Why don't you trust him? Why don't you go to him with your desires? Say, help me, Lord. Help me discover what I really want. One of his ways that he's offered us to be free of sin is confession. Confession is scary. But James says, confess your sins to one another that you not may be forgiven, but be healed. You're going to have a hard time untangling these knots by yourselves. I do. We all will. The practice of confession—it's a spiritual discipline. It's Something—it's a grace that God has given us. It is a gift because confession is not a burden. Hiding is confession is the gift of laying down the burden of hiding with someone you trust. Christian brother or sister but we need to seek the Lord asking him to reveal what is deep down what's the motivation that you'd be okay with me having if I got in a different way help me find that and help me find somebody that I can be open and real with that won't abuse me with my honesty and if someone comes to you opens up do not hurt them those are his people those are his people trying to be obedient And John says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we still walk in the dark, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of the son cleanses us from all sin. I want us to pray, close out our service. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that you help us to take this seriously, what you have said. That you are a God who is serious about us forsaking sin, being free from it. I pray that you help us identify what it is inside of us that's driving us so that we can no longer be enslaved and that we can see sin for what it is. That it's a trick, it's a lie. May you help us identify those around us who who we can be open with, we can be honest with and confess. This requires maturity, Lord, and and it takes courage and it's dangerous. We know it is, but it is so worth it because we believe that if you said we should do it, that you'll work out the details. We trust you, Lord. And we thank you so much for your promises in your word. Empower us as we walk out of this place To not be just hearers but doers of your word lights in the darkness people who show the world around us what it looks like to be governed by the king of glory the god of heaven the suffering savior the only god willing to bleed for us may we trust you we love you father we love you jesus we love you spirit And we ask all these things in our Lord's name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Have a good week.